The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 343. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can also go to mclanahanacademy.com, mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. You can purchase one of my courses there, and of course, that helps support the podcast. You also get great content for that. And I've got 12 classes available for purchase. I've got a new one coming out this week. So if you are a McClanahan Academy subscriber... You get the best deals on those new classes. It's a great situation for you. You don't get a lot of emails from me there either. I mean, you get a few as I release classes here and there. But um, it is a great way to support this show and get great content at the same time. And this new class is coming out. You're going to want it. It's part two of the four-part series that I'm producing. And this is going to cover a period that a lot of people like to talk about in the South. So you're going to want to get that class. That's just a hint. It comes out this week. If you're not on McClanahan Academy, you won't know it, and you won't get the best coupon. You can also go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. I teach there with Tom and a lot, of, a lot of other great instructors, so if you want to support me that way, you can get a Liberty Classroom subscription. I'll also go to BrianMcClanahan.com, click on that Shop tab. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always... Rate this podcast where you get your podcast, share it around on social media, do all you can to help people get involved in the Brian McClanahan Show, right? I mean, that's how we're going to grow the audience. Think locally, act locally is an important thing to talk about. And the more people that listen, the better. And in fact, this episode is a think locally, act locally episode. So there's a new book out, or at least coming out tomorrow, that I want to talk about. And uh, I think that this is interesting because now this is the second book on this topic in the last year. And one's from the right and one's from the left. That shows me that Think Locally, Act Locally is catching on. Even Eric Foner blurbed this book and said, wait a second here. I mean, maybe people are rethinking the value of union in the 21st century. That's interesting. Uh, so <clears throat> the book in question is, or the book that I'm going to talk about is, is entitled Break It Up, Secession, Division, and the Secret History of America's Imperfect Union. It's by Richard Kreitner. Richard Kreitner is a journalist. He writes for The Nation. And so uh, he's a left-winger. I mean, and the book that I reviewed not long ago was American Secession by F.H. Buckley, who is a conservative. So you've got a conservative writing American Secession, which is talking about the current situation and how people are not necessarily certain that the union is even valuable anymore. And then, of course, you have 
someone like Kreitner writing a book about the history of secession. And I'll be honest, I never thought this was going to be the case in 2020. And what I mean by that is, if I, if I could talk to my 1990s self, when I got interested in the topic of secession, you know, well over 20 years ago now, and I started thinking about it more and more then, uh, and then I could say, you know, in 2020, there's going to be two books. This particular book, Break It Up, is published by uh, Little Brown and Company, uh, which is a big publishing company, and it's been reviewed by Kirkus. I mean, this is not just some simple self-publishing book. Uh, American Secession was published by Encounter Books, another big publishing house. This is amazing. Uh, Kirkus actually, again, reviewed this particular book, Break It Up. Uh, and part of that is because of Kreitner's profile at The Nation. Now, he's not a huge name, but certainly he has a following. And he does write for a Slate reviewed the book, which, I mean, that's interesting uh, that uh, Slate did that. So I want to talk about the book, and I want to think about this idea of the left now advancing the narrative of secession. And why is that? Well, I think clearly, clearly, uh, the left is concerned about a Trump-led America. They're all, well, those that are serious thinkers on the left are starting to wonder, well, wait a second here. Uh, what is this value of union, a national government? What does that do for us if we can't advance our left-wing agenda? If you go to Kreitner's social media feed, I mean, he's, he advocates just about every left-wing agenda you can think of. But with Trump in office, those programs, policies, agendas, those are uh, taking a back seat because, of course, we have a Trump administration. At least, theoretically, they're taking a back seat. I mean, I don't think Trump is anything but a nationalist, but he is a, a different kind of nationalist than you would have with, say, uh, a Kamala Harris, who is a nationalist who would advance a different nationalist agenda than Donald Trump. So leftists are starting to rethink this idea of a national government responding to national problems. And what Kreitner has done is gone back and said, okay, well, look, let's trace the history of this. Where do we find this value of union? How do we, how do we codify a value of union? And so, uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to uh, read the book because it's not out yet. But I did read the Slate review, and I've read some of the book that I could get uh, you know, for a preview. I was not sent an advanced copy. But I think it's important that everyone buys this book simply because, no matter what, it's a book on decentralization, a modern book on decentralization. I mean, there's tons of free stuff out there from, uh, from the 18th and 19th centuries that you can get about decentralization all day long. And I don't think anybody can do it better than them. But when you read this book, he, he gets into this idea that, of course, David Hackett Fisher has explored in Albion Seed, that there are always distinct Americas within America. There has never been a, a, a homogenous American people. 
Regardless of what the nationalists have said over time, there has never been an American people. He brings up the fact that George Washington recognized this. That other members of the founding generation recognized that an American people did not exist. But yet we're told that over and over. Now, there's a great class on that, by the way. Somebody you might know and like that offers a class on secession, me, uh, and that is Americans, uh, I'm sorry, Secession and American Tale. It's at McClanahan Academy. It's one of my more inexpensive classes. It's only five lectures. But I get into essentially the same thing that Kreitner is doing here. And I, and I trace secession through uh, from the 18th to the 20th and 21st centuries. And I talk about the value of union at the end of that. And what the real problem is in America, of course, is nationalism. So let me go into this uh, interview that he did with, uh, with Slate and talk about what he said. So the, the woman that wrote the, uh, wrote the essay or did the interview was Rebecca Onion. I don't, I don't know her, but uh, she asked the question, can you talk about the chronology of disunionist thought? The book concentrates on the 18th and 19th centuries. I got to about page 300 and thought, huh, we just got, a, got out of Reconstruction. So it's fair to say that the ideas you're talking about are most active, more influential before the 20th century. So Kreitner says, I think most people portray secession as something that was settled at Appomattox. I really don't think that's the case. I don't think that's how history works. Of course, the 20th century is a more difficult chapter to write about. There are no major secessionist movements in the 1940s. But I think the disunionist thought of the previous centuries lived under the surface of American society and American culture. Now, he's exactly right about this. Um, he's 100% right about this. But as I point out in the secession class, there, there have been secessionist movements, or at least regionalist movements, even in the middle of the 20th century. One of the most important, of course, is the Southern agrarians, the fugitive agrarians, who wrote, I'll take my stand. And if you look at the 1940s, I mean, he uses that decade as an important, I mean, we're talking about World War II. Uh, and after World War II, we had this period of time when Link the Lincolnian nationalist vision of America was ascendant. Why? Well, because we just fought through fought World War II. World War II is the exception rather than the rule, though, in, in American history. It's really the only time that you can find a driving one-people narrative in American history. That's about it. After that, I mean, by the time you get to the 1960s, that's done. You have about 20 years of it from maybe not even that long, but you could say maybe 1945 to 1965, somewhere in there. Uh, even then, though, you're, still see, you're starting to see fractures in that by the 1950s. Uh, so he says, uh, take the conservative, especially southern opposition to the New Deal, where they're comparing the Tennessee Valley Authority and other New Deal programs to another invasion of the South and predicting that if things go on like this, there will be another civil war. That's where modern conservatism comes from, opposition to the New Deal. Um, uh, okay, I mean, if, yeah, in some respects. Uh, you know, if you read Nash's book on the conservative intellectual tradition, and they, the New Deal's important. Um, but I wouldn't say that's where, exactly where it comes from. There was other components to it. But regardless, I'll just quibble with that just a little bit. Uh, opposition. In the 1950s, there was massive resistance to federal authority in the South, and the more you look at it, it feels 
like this much-lauded mid-century consensus wasn't all it had been cracked up to be. There were, actually, there were actual separatist movements, but fairly small and didn't get anywhere, it didn't get anywhere mostly because the federal government melded, meddled in them, excuse me, like the black nationalist movement that wanted to build a black republic in the South in the 60s and 70s as a form of reparations for slavery. But it says something to me about the United States that separatism is the form that our more radical pro protest movements often take, and it makes me question how united we really are. Well, of course, there's never really been a united American people. There was an American union of states, and these states were supposed to handle the differences that each state had. Kreitner writes, the secession is the only kind of revolution Americans have ever known, and the only kind we're ever likely to see. Uh, the interviewer says, this book is about fractiousness, petulance, dissatisfaction, how do you discern when historical actors are talking about wanting to exit the Union, whether they're serious or whether they're simply venting, whether the separatism is real or rhetorical? He says, I definitely think of those as two different strands of the idea, but the two represent the same tradition. Going back to the colonial era, colonial era America dis dissidence often takes the form of separatism. I think there's something innately fractious in the American character, just saying, you know, this isn't working for me. I want no part of it. There's a whole idea I really didn't explore in the book. That's the idea of individual secession. People just saying, I removed myself from politics and American national life. I talk about this in the secession course. I mean, I think Kreitner has done a good job here. And again, I wish I could see the entire book. But I think just by mentioning these things, he didn't explore this in the book. Well, I did in the secession class. Uh, and, you know, Onion says, like the sovereign citizens. He says, sure, but also the 70% of Americans who don't vote. The tendency to want to remove yourself from an existing political community when it doesn't work for you. I trace that back to the colonial period when these early colonists were just constantly fracturing into different townships. Anytime they didn't like the decision making where they're living, they just uh, move to, like, to live in a different place. I think that's always been our tendency. This is true, right? So you have this separatism within the union itself. I talk about this a lot in the course when it comes to things like the Tuskegee model or the Pap Singleton Blacks ex Black Exodus movement or the Garveyites. You had certainly individual secession moving away. I removed myself. This is think locally, act locally to its core, right? So uh, I like that he brought this up. And I think that, you know, this is where you get this entire idea of, look, we're going we're gonna to take our local community and we're just going to live our lives and forget about the national, the center. Now, it's very hard to do because of taxes and other things. But uh, certainly it's still part of the secessionist impulse. Then the interviewer says, I do want to talk about American exceptionalism, whether this story about secession thought is particular to America. He says, I did sort of casually begin tracking secessionist movements around the world, and no, obviously this isn't, this isn't a particularly American problem. I wouldn't call it really a problem. What we're seeing right now is the disintegration of the nation-state, these kinds of arbitrary creations of the post-World War II era that never really made sense in the first place. Hallelujah, right? I mean, this is what we've been talking about, uh, whether it's the Abbeville Institute, of course, or my own stuff, or you know, Clyde Wilson, for a long time. So you've got separatism in Scotland and Catalonia, 
There was a time last summer when it seemed like every news story is about separatism in one place or another. Kurdistan, India, Nigeria, China with Hong Kong. Lots of countries have the issue, which is interesting because we tend to think of ourselves as exceptional. But I think we're actually participating in this larger global historical development when we talk about separating now. But at the same time, the American Revolution was the really first important secessionist revolt in modern times. The Netherlands, which had declared independence from Spain in the late 16th century, but independence movements ever since have pointed to us as their example. So I do think there's something particularly American about separatism. Of course there is. Now, you could say that there's certainly a religious component to this. If you talk about, for example, just the Protestant Reformation, that's a separatist movement. And in fact, that term secession or secession really develops during that time period. But political secession, political secession, the way that people think about it now is 100% American. It is the American tale. That's why I describe my class as the American tale. You know, I thought about writing this book, essentially, that he wrote for years. I just never did it. I'm glad somebody did it. Um, I'm glad if you put Buckley's book together with Kreitner's book, I think you get a nice historical with the modern. I mean, you've got to almost put these two together to get the comprehensive tale that you need the comprehensive story that you need. Or you could just take my class. Uh, now, she continues, I was interested in the times in the book where you explore how a contingency and chance thwarted a few separatist movements, making the point that if things had gone a little bit differently, our union would not have had the same shape. It made me think, huh, this has all been much more tenuous than we commonly believe. Huh. <laughs> See, this I, I think the interviewer is... I mean, they're, they're throwing good questions here, but I think it's indicative of what we have in America. This is a story. The title of the book is, you know, the, the uh, title saying that the secret history of America is, I don't, think, I don't think it's secret. I think that people just don't talk about it. And they don't talk about it because they don't know it. It's not secret. It's all out there. But the problem is you had this Lincolnian vision of America that's been taught in our schools for generations. So people don't think about it. They think there's only been one separatist movement in America, and that was 1861 to 1865, and that was all about race and slavery. But as I think Kreitner does a good job showing, no, 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 there's been lots of them. People have talked about this value, value of union. Now, Elizabeth Varon wrote this book, Disunion, and how that very fear of disunion drove discussions about union. This is something people talked about all the time. So Kreitner says, a lot of people have been writing books in the last couple of years arguing that the soul of America is strong. We've been divided before, but we got through it. The mystic chords of memory, the better angels of our nature, we'll get past it, the crisis of Trumpism. But I think that is absolutely not necessarily the case, and I think it can make for us far too complacent and comfortable, especially given what may lie ahead over the next three to six months. So again, here's a leftist. He's saying the crisis of Trumpism. What is the crisis of Trumpism? He's missing the entire point. It's the crisis of nationalism. It was there during Obama. It was there during Bush. It was there during Clinton. It's the crisis of nationalism. It's been there the entire time. There's a reason that people get so angry at each other because we have a one-size-fits-all government that forces 50% of the population, or close to it, to submit to the other 50% of the population. Well, that's not good government. Calhoun pointed this out in his disquisition. That's not good government at all. You can't have effective government that way. 
you have arbitrary power. You have tyranny. And so this is why there need to be some check. And he brings up in the book the Senate. And how he's critical of the Senate. A lot of leftists are critical of the Senate now. But the Senate actually works properly. It works to protect the minority. It was there to represent the states. And it works to protect the minority from the majority. That's why the Senate exists. More importantly, it works to protect the states from the center. Because at least initially, the states could have theoretically withheld their senators. The legislatures could have said, we're not sending senators to Washington or to New York or Philadelphia initially. But uh, we're not sending our senators there so that the government will cease to operate. Because you need the Senate and you need a quorum to pass any legislation. So if you had enough senators, you know, enough states say, we're not sending our senators there. Well, then the central government ceases to exist. And this was actually argued during the ratification process. He says, an example of a time change and contingency made a big difference was in the War of 1812, when New England Federalists, who were opposed to Jefferson, Madison, the Republicans, and their war with England, with which New England was still quite close commercially, were objecting to the war. They refused to participate, refused to submit their troops to federal commands. Toward the end of the war, Washington, D.C. was burning. British, the British had occupied certain towns in Maine. Nantucket had declared a separate peace with England. There was a popular groundswell in New England for some kind of action, whether that be forming a peace with Britain until the end of the war or even outright secession. Politicians formed the Hartford Convention of 1814 or early 1815, and they didn't threaten to secede from the Union, but they issued a set of demands, including for amendments to the Constitution, which they said if they didn't pass, would, they would seriously consider seceding from the Union. Well, they were secessionists there. I mean, first of all, the Hartford Convention proceedings are secret, so um, we don't know much about it, but they were certainly talking about secession. They sent three emissaries to D.C. to deliver these, the demands to Madison, who was living in rented quarters because the White House is still smoldering, and they may well have gone through with it if the news had not come that a peace treaty had been signed in Europe and that the news that Andrew Jackson had won the Battle of New Orleans. And so the New Englanders looked horrible, and the Federalist Party died. Well, sort of. They just called themselves National Republicans. But if those things had not happened, I think it's very likely they would have gone ahead and seceded, and who knows what would have happened. Well, I think that would have been great. <laughs> you wouldn't have New England anymore to... Uh, to be a cancer in the Union, right? I mean, this is, again, New England was always a sectional, sectionally interested entity. They, they, didn't, they weren't nationalists. They were sectionalists all the time and wanting to use the central authority to advance their sectional needs. Whereas I think you could say the other side were truly nationalists in that they advocated policies that would benefit all and burden all equally. Um, and this is why Calhoun threw New England a bone in 1816 with the tariff that he advocated because he thought that the section had been potentially damaged by the war. So she asked, what were your favorite episodes or people to write about in the history? For me, the heroes of the book of the abolitionists before the Civil War, like William Lloyd Garrison, who proposed disunion. The people are so opposed to slavery and so object to the support that they believe the Constitution gave it that they wanted the northern states to secede from the Union to protest slavery. They believe without federal government support and the Constitution there to protect slaveholders, then the system would start to collapse under its own weight. I think that was a very bold, very heroic stance to take, very unpopular even in the North at the time, but one that took a lot of guts. 
He says, I try not to draw it out too explicitly, but I think it kind of parallels today where those of us who believe in equality and freedom and progress, like the abolitionists did, should think about whether the union is currently advancing those goals. Well, yeah, I, I wish you would think about that. I wish people on the left would really start thinking about that and they would start having the free California Republic and uh, the West Coast just leaves and New England is gone. That would be great. I think those are actually the only areas that could pull it off. For example, I mean, the South could never pull it off again. Uh, because there would always be this charge of racism or something else. Which, of course, would not be true, but there would always be a charge of it. Uh, the landlocked states in the middle of the United States would have a hard time doing it, simply because they would face uh, economic problems because of it. But I could certainly see a coastal area like the West Coast or even New England pulling it off. I think they could. And, uh, you know, this is why um, Thomas Naylor, who's now long gone, but Thomas Naylor and his Vermont Republic thought that Vermont could lead the way because they have, they've done nothing wrong ever in the United States. I mean, this is, this is the funny part about it. New England is the place of people who have done nothing wrong ever. So if these pure people could just leave, then maybe everybody else uh, could think about it, or we would just have a United States, a conservative United States, and then you would have you know these these separate areas. She says, "I hear hesitancy in saying this, and I wonder. I think, my God, you're going to be put on some kind of watch list for the press you do for this book. But your whole point is that it's an American tradition to think about separating. Wow, I know somebody else that said that. Me. <laughs> I mean, this is funny to me." Uh, because I've been talking about this stuff for years. For years. He says, I think it's not only an American tradition, but actually a patriotic position. I think questioning the value of the Union is arguably the most patriotic thing we could do. The whole point of the country when it was founded was to be the means of some kind of ends, to serve a purpose. Well, not really. I mean, it was a Union to serve a purpose. Well, I guess you could say a means to an ends of defending the United States and, of course, having commerce between states, that's the means to the ends. That was it. That was it. There's nothing else to it. Uh, the best American tradition continues to treat the Union as a means to those ends, and I think those are in the Declaration of Independence, Life, Liberty, Super... Again, the Declaration is a disunion document. It's a disunion document. Uh, and if you look at the last paragraph, this is why I spend a little bit of time on the Declaration in the Secession class, if you look at the last paragraph, it's clear what it is. It's a disunion document. It's creating 13 independent countries, not one monolithic people. And there was no lofty rhetoric about what the United States was going to be. Jefferson said this is simply an expression of the American mind. Virginia had already left the Union before they even had the Declaration. And of course, they had their Bill of Rights, which is based on English history. Then he brings up Lincoln. This is interesting that he brings up Lincoln in talking about secession. Now, Lincoln himself at one point said secession was plausible and, in fact, supported it. But he says Lincoln himself actually thought that, and that's why he didn't compromise on the eve of the Civil War. He could have said, okay, we'll give up our plank in the Republican platform that says no slavery in the territories, could have made the offer to keep the southern states in the Union. 
They might have rejected it, but it would have served the American political tradition of compromise, no matter the cost. But Lincoln rejected it and said, no, if we give in now, they will be able to hold us hostage every election. Let's take a risk of fighting a war to preserve the Union. And hopefully, if we win, we'll have done so for a purpose worthy of it. I feel like that's Lincoln using a little piece, an atom of the same disunion logic. I think there's always been a tradition, a radical one, but definitely a patriotic one, that holds the country to high standards and says we should hold this thing together, but only as long as it's going to serve some purpose. Well, that's not exactly it. Uh, It would be the union serves a purpose as long as it benefits all and burdens all equally. That was the whole point. As long as it serves a purpose of defending the United States and having commerce between states. I mean, but if he's saying there's some type of altruistic purpose of the union and it's not working that way anymore, well, then by all means, leave. I mean, this is this is the American tradition. So I like that this book is out. I think it's great that a, someone on the left has written a book on secession. I think that's fantastic. Uh, if, you, if you get my Southern scribblings, you'll see that I advocate California secession at least twice in that book, and I've, I've done it before. I mean, California should leave the Union. It's big enough to be its own independent country. Just leave. Leave. Uh, and I think that um, the United States would be better off for it. So... I applaud Kreitner for writing this book. I don't think he's going to be put on any watch list or anything like that. Uh, we've had other dis, uh, disunionist books or you know decentralist books that have been written in the last uh, five years or so. And I think this is great that people are actually talking about this. Now, I know I went long in this particular episode, um, but I wanted to really talk about this book. And go out and get it. Um, I th- and again, I'm going to, the title of the book is Break It Up. Uh, Secession, Division, The Secret History of America's Imperfect Union, Richard Kreitner. Break it up. I agree. Let's break it up. All right. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.